Thank you. Thank you so much. Hey, you can have a seat. Uh, good morning, everyone. I am Dan Seitz, senior pastor here at Hillside. It is really wonderful to have you here on a very special morning. This is Brunch for Ten Sunday. This is very, very exciting. Right after this service, about 150 Hillsiders are going to be gathering at 15 different brunch sites, all spread throughout the county from San Ramon to Martinez, enjoying a fabulous brunch. This is going to be very, very exciting. Building relationships, making connections. Uh, I can't wait. And uh, I have a, a question for you. Raise your hand if you are hosting today. Real, real high. People can see who's hosting. There you go. Now, hold on, hold on. Yeah, go ahead, actually. That's very appropriate. Yeah. Okay. Now, keep your hand raised. Hands up. If the egg casserole you are serving today can stand up against anyone. Just keep your hand up. Okay. <laughs> A very interesting. There are still some hands held high. I like that. I was thinking this was a humbler church than it turns out to be, actually. Anyway, it is really going to be a wonderful, wonderful day. And very seriously, thank you for those of you who are joining in in some way. Yeah, that's right. Because you really are helping build up this church family. You're helping realizing one of our big Christmas gifts, if you remember our Advent series, Big Present Christmas, in the Messiah we have a new family, and we build into it when we eat together. So really well done. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but there was a blockbuster discovery in planetary science just two weeks ago. This is very true. Uh, scientists reported that there has been a major shift in the core of our planet. You heard about that, Floyd. Who's heard about that? Very, very, very interesting. Now, like you, I bet, I knew before that the, the core of planet Earth is molten liquid metal. But what I did not know up until now is that inside that liquid core, this is true, is a solid metal marble. Who knew that? It's, it's all true. Well, that solid metal marble, according to scientists at Peking University, the planet within the planet, as they call it sometimes, has begun to move. It's starting to move. It's waking up. It's starting to spin. Now, I know this sounds like the setup to a doomsday movie, <laughs> probably starring Bruce Willis, okay? <laughs> But it's absolutely true. It's happening. Now, I don't want you to worry. We are all going to get to brunch today, so don't stress about it, okay? And that's because uh, even though it's happening, something new is happening in the core of the earth, it's not going to have any uh, surface effects. Now, why talk about this? Here's why. If you have been around Hillside uh, this year, you know that we have been in a series called Ambassador You, and it's a series in which we Hillsiders the already skilled ambassadors of King Jesus. Here's a picture of some of us in action in the DR. But we ambassadors are seeking to gain a firmer grip on our message. We already know a lot about our message. 
but we're trying to get a, a, a firmer, clearer grip on it. And uh, by the way, if you are new this morning, maybe somebody invited you to Hillside. Uh, you're, you're not a, a Christian, but you're kind of interested in exploring Christianity. You could not have come on a better Sunday, and you could not be here for a better series, because in this series, we are boring down into the message of Christianity. So this is a great time for you to be here. Uh, But as we have looked very closely at Scripture, we have been in the lab. Uh, Many of us, and I know this to be the case because many of you have been talking to me about this series, which has been very exciting. Many of us have experienced a shift, an adjustment in our understanding of the core of our message. Now, again, we haven't gotten rid of anything at all. We're keeping everything we know. We're just putting the pieces together in a new way that precisely matches Scripture. And in particular, we are making a slight adjustment to our understanding of the gospel proper. And whereas many of us used to think that the gospel was first and foremost about us, our condition, our dreams, our problems, our needs, and how a generic God meets those needs, we are seeing through a very close examination of Scripture that the gospel, biblically speaking, is first and foremost an announcement about Jesus. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, and that singular man's full life, that God-man. And what's more, we've seen that what you could say is the metal marble at the center of the gospel is an emphasis over and over again when you look at Scripture very carefully on Jesus's present earthly kingship. He is Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. He is Jesus the King, And this is central to the biblical writer's understanding of the gospel. The fact that despite appearances, because of Jesus' spotless career, Jesus is now in charge of the whole world. He is now, as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the Son of God in power. That's who we are here to honor today. If you would pull out your handout. I see some fine riptiders in the front. You don't have handouts. You're going to need a handout to follow along today. You really will. So Rod or Drew, would you bring these beautiful younger hillsiders a handout? You you really are going to need this. So take a look at that handout, all of you. If you don't have one, again, raise your hand. You're going to need one. Lisa Hudson needs one. The worship director needs one. Ethan needs one. The former board chairman needs one. Lisa, the published author, needs one. Anyway. Ah, one more. Gary Cedarwall. The distinguished Gary Cedarwall. Anyway, check out that handout. Look at the front page. And as you can see, it's got a, a simple chart on it. And that is for keeping the various components of our big message as ambassadors in mind. And let's look at it here. As you can see, the big message that we have to share as the uh, forgiven and the beloved ambassador friends of King Jesus is that whole rectangle. That's our message, that whole rectangle. And that rectangle contains two parts. First, the gospel 
proper, and second, the opportunities that the gospel proper makes available to all people, everyone, irrespective of their worth or their value in human terms. You see, God, the true God, is indiscriminate in his grace. He offers himself, he offers his son to everyone. He is totally colorblind. But both sides are key, and though distinct, each is part of our essential message as ambassadors, part of our big message. Now look at the chart again. What's more, as you can see from the chart, the gospel proper, one half of our big message, also contains two parts. First, the full career of Jesus, which again, we're going to say again and again with special emphasis on the fact that he's the king right now, he's in charge. And then second, how that spectacular career, nobody ever lived like Jesus, how that career specifically completes the story of Israel. And that is very important. Now, in our last two messages, if you were here, you know, we pitched a tent and we camped in that top left box. And we really dug into scripture, often in the way you do in a Sunday school class, more than a sermon. And we looked into Acts 13, 16 through 37. Remember, we read the whole thing. We read it out loud. Romans 1, 1 through 4, we picked it apart. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 6, we picked it apart. 2 Timothy 2, 8, to see what those passages say the gospel is. And we'd reached the conclusion we did. What we haven't gotten to yet is the second part of the gospel proper, the lower left box. We haven't talked about how that career, that sparkling career of Jesus, completes the story of Israel, and that is our focus today. So this morning, the second part of the gospel proper, or the lower left box. Everyone with me? You got where we are? All right. Now, I would imagine that over the last two weeks that we have been going deep, I, I, I would imagine that as you've heard me say over and over and over again, that part of the gospel is how the career of Jesus culminating in his, in his kingship brings Israel's story to a close. I, I imagine as you've heard that, you have wondered how that could possibly be the case. I'm sure of it. And I'm sure that some of you have thought this to yourselves. Why does Jesus' backstory really matter? Why, why, why does that make a difference? Especially for a non-Jewish audience. I mean, what is the significance of that? And in our sharing with people, in our, in, our, in our spiritual conversations with spiritually curious friends, why can't we just get right to the career of Jesus? And maybe you're thinking this. You know, now I'm actually really beginning to see why the full career of Jesus matters, the full story, but why the back story? I, I, you've lost me there. Totally understandable question. And this morning, I'm going to explain why it's critical. And I'm going to begin this way. As we all know, what something means, it means in relation to its context. And here is a perfectly ridiculous example. And before I give it to you, by the way, I've already made note of this, but we have our students with us today. Riptide and Edge. Now, hold on, hold on. Riptide, since you're in the front row, I want you to stand. Go ahead, go ahead. It's okay. 
And I want you to take a bow while we applaud you. Go ahead and do that, okay? Go, bow, bow. That's good. That's good. All right, uh, you can sit down. Okay, you can sit down. Now, that's not fair. High schoolers, there are high schoolers in here in theory. Uh, I know Madeline Napes is here, I saw her. Stand up if you're a high schooler. There's Madeline, there's Josh. Good, oh Liliana, very good. Oh, I'm good to see you guys. I haven't seen you since VBS. High schoolers, give them a, a big round of applause. That's right, okay. We're glad you're here. All right, but back to the point, okay? Here's an example. Meaning, uh, something means what it means in context. Here's an example. Take this sentence, okay? Take this sentence. Leo Prego shoved me and broke my arm, okay? Now, that sentence means something, right? And if that were true, you would probably be very unhappy with Leo, right? At least if you're coming to the site's house for brunch, okay? However, the statement, Leo Prego shoved me and broke my arm in order to keep me from getting run over by a cement truck <laughs> means something totally different, doesn't it? Get the point? Meaning is contextual, and so it is with the gospel. We can't really know what the gospel means. We can't really know what the career of Jesus means culminating in his kingship until we know the specific question to which his career was the answer. Make sense? And that question is bound up in the story of Israel, the focus of the Old Testament. So that brings us to this question. What was the story of Israel all about? What was God's purpose with Israel? And to understand that purpose, we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back to creation. We need to ask, why did God create people in the first place? Why did he make human beings? Now, let's read this passage, Genesis 1, 26 through 28, because this, this answer, this passage is going to give us our answer. Okay, you can find it in your handout. Now, here, I'm going to give you a little warning here. Next 10 minutes is going to be dense, Okay. Just like last week, there's a big, dense biblical section. Here we're going into it. 10 or 12 minutes. You got to stay with me, okay? I'm not mainly trying to talk to your heart. I'm trying to talk to your mind, okay? So focus, really, really focus and follow the train of the argument. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26. It says, then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, what do we have here? We'll get right to it. Yahweh created human beings, he created all of us, in order to be a creation blessing family. That was why he made us. Let me say it again. Yahweh created human beings in order to be a creation blessing family. How do we arrive at that? 
Taking the first phrase, creation blessing. Look back at the passage. Twice, once in verse 26, once in verse 28, God says human beings are to have dominion over creation. Now, to our ears, that might sound a little exploitative, okay? A little, hey, let's mine the planet Pandora for some unobtainium, if you've seen Avatar, okay? But that's not the meaning at all. That's not the meaning of the mandate, as Genesis chapter 2 makes clear. Listen to this passage. Here the biblical writer says, the Lord God took the man, humankind, and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And without getting into too much detail, these words mean something very particular. They mean to serve and safeguard. They mean to preserve and protect. But what's the bottom line? God created human beings with a specific purpose. And that purpose is to care for, and here's something exciting if you're an artist or you're a scientist or you're an inventor, not just to care for it, but to bring out all of the hidden potential of God's extraordinary creation, a creation that he loves. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. More than just having God-like endowments, like reason or imagination, to be created in the image of God means to be given a task. It means to be entrusted with a responsibility, and that task is very specific. Listen, it's to bring God's loving administration, God's influence, you could even say God's glory to his creation, which he loves. Now, let's look at the second part of the phrase, family. God's desire was that human beings would carry out this creation ruling, again, and we know what that means, this preserving and protecting, this securing and safeguarding kind of service in joyful harmony with other people. We wouldn't do it alone. We would do it as part of a family. And this corporate aspect of our created calling, the fact that God wants a group, God wants a team, God wants a family, this could not be clearer. Check it out. First off, Genesis 1, what does the Lord do? He gives this preserving and protecting mandate, not just to one person, he gives it to a pair. He gives it to a male and a female who together... Genesis 1 is very clear. Bear God's image. And then what else does he do? If we wonder whether this dream that God has is for a group or a family to operate together, he tells them to multiply. He tells them to create a family for that glory-spreading task. So again, God's plan, God's purpose for human beings is very, very plain. It's right in the very beginning of Scripture. It's to rule creation. Again, not in an, uh, 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 an avatar, exploitive sense, but in the way you tend a garden or you take care of flowers. And he wants us to do that as part of a loving family. Well, what happened? Genesis 3 tells us what happened. We human beings failed. We rejected God. We put ourselves in his place, and we began to try to define right and wrong in our own terms. But here's what's key. It's not only that. We didn't just reject God. We also rejected his purpose for us. He had a reason to make us. We rejected God. 
We also rejected his purpose, again, to preserve and protect, to serve and to safeguard, to help his beloved creation flourish and blossom in every way something could flourish and blossom. So what does God do? Did he abandon his dream? Did he give up on the plan of a flourishing creation, preserved and protected by an image-bearing, glory-spreading human family? Of course he didn't. God has way more grit than that. He wasn't going to give up. So what does he do? He makes a covenant with Abraham, and he promises that in that future family, it's a little bit unclear, he doesn't spell out all the details, but he says that somehow in that future family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And somehow it's that family that will do something very particular, get God's creation project back on track. Well, a few hundred years later, after rescuing Abraham's family, the family is somehow going to be the solution to this problem. What does he do? Check out your handout again. He entrusts them with a glorious responsibility. They, the nation of Israel, are going to be, look at it, his treasured possession, and here's the really key phrase, his kingdom of priests. In other words, they are going to be the family that represents God to the world. Where have we heard that before? We've heard that, right? This covenant that God makes with Israel echoes God's original commission to Adam and Eve. Now stay with me, because we're getting close to the punchline. As a whole, that special nation of royal priests, they don't do too well. They don't do much better than Adam and Eve. And of course, that's because they are infected by the same disease Adam and Eve were affected by, sin. Nevertheless, Israel... The chosen people, chosen for a purpose to get God's creation project back on track, they prove not to be a complete failure. You see, after many centuries of failing and flailing as God's royal priestly family, God's glory-spreading family, one member of that family succeeds. One Israelite gets over the bar. One Israelite manages to live perfectly, both as God's royal priest, that was Israel's job, right? And as God's image bearer, that was the job of every human being. And as part of his perfect royal priest image bearing life, in fact, as a natural consequence of that life, living faithfully before God, he goes to the cross, and he bears the full weight, not just of the sin of his countrymen and women, fellow Israelites, but he bears the sin of all of humanity. Who is this one Israelite, Kaylee? <laughs> the answer is always Jesus, by the way. If somebody asks you a question, like, it's Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, who also turns out to be God's eternally begotten son, and thus God himself. Well, after dying that power of sin extinguishing death, the very final chapter of his perfect royal priest, 
image-bearing life, what does God do? God crowns him king of creation and raises him to share his own throne. Again, in the words of Paul in Romans 1, 4, God declares him the son of God in power. And suddenly, don't miss this, God finally has what God always wanted. The beautiful vision of Psalm 8 fulfilled, God's beloved creation finally ruled over by a true human being who images him perfectly. And now let me ask, are you beginning to see why completing the story of Israel is the essential framing for the gospel? Are you beginning to grasp the question for which the career of Jesus is the answer? It's okay if it's still fuzzy because it's about to get really clear. We can say it like this. If the story of Israel was all about how humans would be restored to their glorious, created, image-bearing purpose, and if the career of Jesus is the climax of that story, it follows that the supreme meaning of the career of Jesus is that human beings can finally be restored to their created purpose, their purpose to be the joyful, loyal members of God's creation blessing, glory-spreading family, to be God's family of reflectors. We might even see, say, his light bearers. Where have we heard that before? You see, fellow ambassadors, that's the point. That's the point of Jesus. That's the point of Christianity. The path is cleared. The way is paved. A human being who perfectly images God is now on the throne of, in charge of creation. Yes, he's also the eternal son of God and God himself, but he's still a human being in a physical body today. And here's the thing. With that king on the throne, wrecked human beings we marred masterpieces can come to him, we can join his family, we can be forgiven, and we can be restored to the very purpose for which God made us in the first place, to bring God's glory wherever we go, God's loving influence to the whole world. I want to say this one more way so that it sinks in. Human beings were created to be God's icons. He had a purpose for us. He made us in order to be living statues that would transmit God's goodness and glory everywhere. Our volleyball teams, our offices, wherever we do martial arts, our history classes. In fact, look at your handout again. In the Greek Old Testament, the word image as in let us make man in our image, is icon, from which we get the word icon. Unfortunately, because of the power of sin, both inside and out, all human beings failed to live that exalted purpose. All but one. One human being, literally one iconic human being, succeeded in imaging God perfectly. And in that life, managed to kill off evil itself with the glorious result that being that now 
all of us, being united to that reigning king, the true and supreme icon of God, as Paul says in Colossians 1.15, here it is. All human beings, every single one of us can be restored as icons too, with all of creation enjoying the benefits. That's Christianity in a nutshell. In Jesus, the reigning king, in Jesus, the supreme icon of God, we wrecked and marred icons can become icons again. That's what it's about. I think we need a virtual back rub. Don't touch the person in front of you, but give them a virtual back rub. That was very, very deep. Now listen, when we launched this morning, we compared the shift that we are experiencing in our understanding of the core of the gospel, really trying to bore down to what the biblical writers say about it, and we've compared it to a shift in the liquid metal core of the earth. Here's where the parallel breaks down. You see, in the case of the earth, that shift in the, the, the metal marble at the center of the earth it has no real effects. It's great to think about from a scientific standpoint, but we're not going to feel any of the effects up here. However, in the case of our big message as ambassadors and the gospel proper, and within that message in particular, the shift, that shift has extraordinary implications. I mean huge implications. Seeing the gospel, seeing the career of Jesus as completing the story of Israel, it changes the way we see the entire Christian faith. It's the difference between Leo Prego shoved me and broke my arm and Leo Prego shoved me and broke my arm to save me from getting run over by a cement truck. And I want to explain with a story. When I was a college pastor... Back in Davis, developed a close relationship with uh, a student who we will call Chris. Wonderful guy. Lots of coffee meetings with him over a long time. That's not his real name. And he was a leader in our ministry as well. And at one point in his college career, I think I'll put it this way, Chris began to live in such a way as to bring real damage to himself and damage to somebody with whom he was in a relationship. And this led to him starting to drift away from college life, our college community. And despite that, we stayed in touch. Well, seeing this happening and being concerned about him, I invited Chris to my house to talk about it. And we were friends. So this was normal. And I expected in this conversation to help Chris get back on track. And I ex expected Chris to want to. But as we talked, and we talked late in the night, I will not ever forget this conversation with a student. I've never had one quite like it. As we talked, I experienced more and more and more bewilderment. 
And as I gently tried to help Chris, as shepherds do, whether you're a pastor or a home group leader or a table group leader for Kairos, as I tried to help him think about what his next steps might be on the basis of the gospel, it was like I was talking through water. He did not have any idea what I was talking about. With the result being, it wasn't just me who was bewildered by this conversation. It was Chris as well. And I remember that night talking to Allison about it, saying that was the strangest conversation I have ever had. And eventually it dawned on me, Chris had missed the whole point of Christianity. He'd missed the whole thing. That united to King Jesus, the true icon of God, and all that that entails, in terms of forgiveness and the hope for eternal life and justification, a whole boatload of other things, he had missed that human beings become little icons again. They start to become like Jesus himself. And in fact, his head was so full of empty Christian sound bites coffee mug sentiments about Jesus rather than Jesus Christ or Jesus the King. Jesus being his homeboy rather than Jesus as the saving, reigning King. Grace as a generic, divine acceptance, unconnected to any larger story, sort of a divine don't worry about it rather than grace in its particular biblical sense as the gift of King Jesus to turn us into the joy-soaked people, image-bearing we were meant to be from the beginning, his mind was so full of empty slogans that he simply could not understand what I was talking about when I urged a new direction on the basis of the gospel. And friends, he was not trying to be obtuse. He wasn't trying to be difficult. He simply didn't understand what the point was. And here's the thing. What he thought he knew about the point of Christianity kept out what he needed to know about Christianity and to begin flourishing again. And you know what? It wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault at all. Even though he'd grown up in youth group, He'd been to camp, he'd heard a million messages about generic Jesus or um, generic grace or generic spirituality. He'd never heard the gospel. He'd never heard the career of Jesus culminating in his present kingship, completing the story of Israel or paving the way finally for all human beings to be restored to their iconic roles in God's iconic family. And this is why mastering our message as ambassadors is so important. You see, the question to which the gospel, to which the career of Jesus is the answer, is not this one. This is what Chris thought. This is not the question. How can sinners be forgiven in the abstract? How can they count on cloud heaven after they die? And in the meantime, how can they do whatever they want to do? That's not the question. 
Rather, the question to which the gospel, the career of Jesus, culminating in his kingship, is this. How can human beings become icons again? How can they become little Jesuses in the world? The glory of God spreaders like they were created to be. After all, Romans 3.23 does not say this. It doesn't say, for all have sinned and fall short of specific commandments, though that's true. What does Romans 3.23 say? You know it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, a.k.a. their created purpose. That's the problem. A.W. Tozier, famous Christian writer, wrote this, a quote you probably heard. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I love that quote. Let me riff on it. Here's my version I prefer. What comes into our minds when we think about the gospel is the most important thing about us. It will determine our lives. What are the implications for us as ambassadors? Because that's really our question, right? We're already skilled ambassadors. We're committed to sharing Jesus with people as God gives us opportunity. What's the implication? Let me say this, fellow ambassadors, because we're all in this together. Lower left box, look at it again. Lower left box doesn't mean that when we share the good news with friends, we rehash every single chapter of Israel's history, right? So don't worry. You don't have to memorize every king between Jeroboam and Jehoiakim, okay? But here is what it does mean. And this is really important. It does mean that when we explain the gospel, when we explain as part of the spiritual conversation over time, that because the gospel completes the career of Israel, it has a goal. And the goal of the gospel is our transformation. It's our reformation as God's icons, which we were created to be. And it's our refitting into God's family, his glory-spreading family, which will lead to our greatest joy. It's time for communion. If you're a musician, come on up. I am hoping that in this series, which has been dense for sure, I am hoping that on the basis of what we are learning, we're going to be able to take this meal with new perception of our host. Our host, my dear friends, my fellow ambassadors, our host here is Jesus, the saving, reigning King. Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage us all right now, with the eyes of our hearts, let's see him in our imaginations. He's here. He's not far 2 Corinthians 3.18, listen to what Paul says. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same icon from one degree of glory to another. And what Paul is saying here is the more we focus on Jesus the King, his whole life, the more we adore him, the more we think about him, the more we read the Gospels and appreciate him, the more we are restored in God's image. Jesus is to be our focus. Jesus the King. Jesus who lived like no one else. And when we look at him and we adore him and we think about him and in the power of the Spirit we try to imitate him, however and wherever God gives us opportunity, bit by bit, stage by stage, degree by degree, we become more and more like him with all of creation experiencing the benefits.